From Brown Cow Studios in Montana, this is News Nerds, the news podcast. On this week's episode, I talked to Canadian author Alan Bradley. He's the author of the Flavia de Luce mystery series, currently consisting of 10 books. He talks to me in this interview about writing mysteries and his life growing up in Canada. Also, the listener challenge is back from its break. I'll have a brand new puzzle about an author after this. I'm your host, Ezra Graham, and stay tuned because this is News Nerds. The Listener Challenge is back, and this week on the Listener Challenge, I have a puzzle for you about a well-known children's book author, and here it is. Take the name of a well-known children's author, or the name that he or she goes by, and rearrange the first three letters in um, the author's name to make a word that can be found in one of this author's book titles. Again, take the name of a well-known children's author, or the name that he or she goes by, and rearrange the first three letters in the author's name to make a word that can be found in one of this author's book titles. I hope you have fun with it, and I had fun making it. And the prize for this challenge to any listener who can correctly name this author and who will be pulled randomly from a hat is a mystery. I really don't know what the prize will be this week, but I will let you know next week. I will announce the prize that the lucky winner will get. Once you have the answer, go to our website, newsnerdspodcast.com, and hit the contact button on the homepage so that you can submit the answer to me. If you would rather do it uh, by a voice message, um, you can go to anchor.fm slash newsnerds, and there's a button where you can record your voice, up to one minute, I believe, and you can submit that to me. And that voice message may be used on the podcast, so be aware that your voice may be on uh, next week's episode if you win. And happy Halloween, everybody. Let's go now to my interview with Alan Bradley. He's a Canadian author who has written the Flavia de Luce mystery series, consisting of 10 books. The series has been featured on Book Nook and, in my opinion, is worth reading. Let's go to that interview now. Alan Bradley is an author. He has written the Flavia de Luce mystery series, uh, now 10 books. Um, he's also written uh, the Shoebox Bible, a memoir, and Miss Holmes of Baker Street. He joins me now from his home on the Isle of Man. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's lovely to be talking to you this afternoon. So, You say that you started to read at a very young age. Do you think that reading and writing have a link? Do you think that maybe got you interested in in writing? I think so. I think reading and writing to me are sort of flip sides of the same coin. I can't imagine reading without writing or writing without reading. It's a closed loop. 
system where you take something in and you give something out and you take something in and uh, you're just part of uh, a world of circulating ideas, some of them coming and some of them going. So what books did you read when you were a child? Like what genre did you read? Oh my goodness, I read everything. Um, because I was, uh, I think I've, I've mentioned in some some places in, in the Shoebox Bible, I talked about uh, having a lot of illnesses when I was a kid, one after another, after another, after another. And uh, there were a few years, uh, I think there was one year that I wasn't able to go to school at all, but I was able to lie in bed and read. And uh, all of my family were readers. I had an uncle who used to bring me English boys adventure books from the 1920s and 30s with serials about the Northwest Mounted Police and motorcycle racing and goodness knows what. My grandmother, like you, was a great mystery reader. She loved English mysteries and uh, she was a voracious reader. She, she read, I would say, almost a book a day. She used to come home from the library with a, a big cloth bag of books. And uh, when she wasn't cooking, she was reading. And uh, one of the very, very first books that she gave me to read was Dorothy Sayers' uh, The Nine Tailors. It was called, do you know the Dorothy Sayers? books about Lord Peter Whimsey. I don't. They're, they're classic golden age detective. They're, they're very funny, very witty, beautifully written, very offbeat mystery stories. Nobody quite wrote anything like them. Extremely clever, uh, beautifully figured out and plotted. So I would recommend those. Anything you can find by Dorothy Sayers is is well worth reading and because I was sick at home my sisters taught me to read even before I went to kindergarten and they really did that so that they wouldn't have to entertain me. They thought having a sick brother was, was better to <clears throat> allow him to be able to entertain himself and they brought me books. They, they had all kinds of books in the house and English magazines, things like Country Life and the Illustrated London News, even if they were a couple of years old, they used to bring these things. So I was reading articles about English villages and old English churches and secret passages and all that kind of stuff, even before I went to school. So I was, I was reading um, mystery stories very early. I read um, a lot of Mark Twain at the time. We had a set of Mark Twain books in the house, not just Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, but Life on the Mississippi and The Prince and the Pauper and Roughing, not uh, Roughing It, uh, that kind of thing. So I was a pretty uh, eclectic reader. I really read anything that I could get my hands on at the time. And I've never really stopped doing that. It's probably a bad habit that I read all the time. You said that you were a bad student in high school because 
you were reading. And there's a story about your teacher asking your class how many books they had read over the summer. Can you share that with me? Yes. I think that was a common thing in those days. That would have been in the early 1950s. And uh, I found high school was uh, a very cruel place compared with, with public school. Public school had been uh, uh, very easy. Uh, it was a breeze to get through that. But high school, it seemed to me that you were having to account for things all the time. You were being counted and assessed and judged. And I, I didn't really fit in with that very well. But one of the first questions they asked in high school, in fact, it was the first day of school in September, the uh, teacher was asking, okay, now I want to find out uh, how many books people have been reading over the summer. So those of you who have read one book, put up your hand and a couple of people put up their hands for one book. And she said, uh, how many people have read uh, two to four books and other people put up their hands? And how many of you have read between six and 10 books and people put up their hands? And she saw that I wasn't raising my hand and she finally got around to asking, well, how many books did you read? over the summer. And we had uh, summer holidays were July and August pretty well, eight weeks school was out. And uh, over the eight weeks I used to go to the library, uh, if not every day, every couple of days, and I would bring a pile of books home. So I was reading somewhere around seven or eight books a week. and. Uh, would just take them home and read them and then bring the bag back and get another pile of books. So I figured roughly in my head eight weeks uh, at about seven or eight books a week. So that's uh, seven, eight to 56, so roughly 56 to 60 books. And she said, well, how many, how many books did you read over the summer? And I said, oh, somewhere between 50 and 60, I think. I don't remember the number. And the response was that she threw me out of the classroom uh, and accused me of lying about it. And I, I was uh, very unhappy about that. So I started skipping school a lot. I would take my books and uh, go out in the country and uh, visit the cemetery, which was very very pleasant. It was very green with willow trees and soft grass and you could lie on the grass with your feet up on a tree trunk and read all day and nobody bothered you. You'd never see anybody all day. So uh, that, that also confirmed my constant reading habits. But yes, I, I was not a good student in high school. I, I liked English literature, and I did manage to win a prize for writing a story in grade nine, but that was about it. Many people say that, you know, funerals are haunted or whatever. I've never found that, but did you, did you ever feel that you were, you know, not supposed to be there because it was not widely accepted? 
No, I don't think so. I, I didn't really care about that. There wasn't anybody that knew where I was or what I was doing, so I didn't worry about it. And uh, it, it was a wonderful place to be because the uh, cemetery in my hometown was actually on an old mill pond. There was an old mill across the pond and it was full of wildlife with geese and herons and everything and uh, beautiful uh, grassy spot in the country and it was warm there in the sunshine you could you could sit out there all day I would take a lunch with me uh, the only thing was that nobody knew where I was because I was skipping school and uh, if you were skipping school you needed to get out of town because in in those days they had things called a truant officer who would uh, come looking for you if you were missing from school but the truant officer had no authority outside the town limits so even even if he did catch up with me he wouldn't have been able to do anything in in the cemetery so i was quite safe out there i would i would bicycle out there and spend the day reading and then bicycle home just in time for supper as if i had just come home from school so did your parents ever know that you were there? Uh, not until it was all over. I, uh, I finally had to confess after doing that for quite a long time. It was the better part of the school year, I think. And uh, my mother finally, I, I think probably the school phoned her or the principal phoned her. It was a small town. Everybody knew everybody. And uh, it finally caught up with me. But she was very good. She was a wonderful mother. And she very promptly sent me off to another school in Toronto. And they had totally different uh, subjects that they taught there. And I actually became very, very interested in a lot of them. And became a not too bad student. Then it was not too long after that she realized that I needed to be kept busy uh, do, doing something that was a little bit more challenging, I think. And she uh, arranged to have me uh, transfer to a technical school. And I, I was able to study um, radio and television electronics, as they called it in those days. I loved that. I, it was a wonderful course with great teachers and uh, I got so much background in, in that that when I completed the course I, I was immediately hired to help build a radio station. After that a TV station and I went on doing that building, building uh, TV stations for 35 years or so. You retired, um, and then you started to write full time. So, did you? I mean, I I know that you probably do, but do you ever have writer's block? And then, how do you cope with that? Um, in a way, I don't know if there is any such thing as writer's block. There are times when life intrudes on your writing, and you can't really get into a regular schedule of writing because there are too many things going on and uh, you get thrown off your pace and uh, that that happens i don't know if there is any cure for that other than just overcoming it and writing 
because the only way you can write is to sit down and write. And if you're not able to do that, then you don't get anything done. But it's not a thing that I worry about because I did 10 Flavia books in 10 years. That, that was a lot of writing. That's about 800,000 words in all. So over that time, I, I wrote probably a million words, which is a lot of writing. In wow, any, that's, so, that's impressive. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot of work to be proud of. So I don't worry about um, how much I'm doing or not doing. And I have no shortage of ideas. I have piles and piles and piles of, of notes of things that I'm always turning over in my mind. I think that your characters are very well developed and I think that their personality shines through the book and that's what makes them very good books. So how did you develop Flavia? Because developing a main character seems like a very big part of the, the whole book experience. Yeah, I think it is in the finished result, but in real life, it was actually the opposite of that because Flavia came to me uh, as is. There was no time that I ever sat down and said, well, I think I will have an 11-year-old girl in England uh, be a detective. I never had that thought. Uh, Flavia just showed up. I, I had started writing another book entirely which wasn't part of the Flavia series. And uh, I, I was just into the first chapter when Flavia arrived and launched herself onto the page and she virtually hijacked the book. She wouldn't allow me to finish writing that book because she wasn't interested in it. And uh, we struggled for a long time with Flavia refusing to cooperate and, and just sitting down on the scene and folding her arms and uh, not wanting to be part of my book. And it, it took a long time. It was the better part of six months, I think, of going for long walks and trying to sort out what I was doing. And, and I finally realized that, that this book that needed to be written wasn't by me, it was by Flavia. And I needed to just listen and hear what she had to say. So when I sat down at the keyboard and Flavia began talking, I, I didn't have to think about what kind of a house she lived in because she told me. She was describing it as we went along and she described her father and her sisters. All I had to do was really transcribe it and uh, learn not to try to force my ideas upon her because she was was sort of not not part of this earlier book that I had been trying to write. So it was really a learning experience of um, trying not to intrude and uh, just listen to what Flavia said. I, I've been asked, in fact, I just had an email this afternoon that I just replied to and somebody was suggesting that maybe I was uh, kind of channeling some dead author somewhere <laughs> i said i i don't think so it, it's just that um, flavia comes from somewhere and i don't care where it is that she comes from i'm grateful for having her in my life 
and I finally learned to listen to her and just enjoyed being the hand that writes her adventures. So it seems like you don't know much about the characters because beforehand because they tell you as you're writing. But how much do you know about the story you're writing before you sit down to write? I think I know what the theme is, uh, because if you're going to spend a, a year, nine months or a year or even a bit more writing a book, it has to be something that you're incredibly interested in. Otherwise, you would you would never get through it because it's thousands of hours of research. And uh, there were things that I knew a bit about because I had collected stamps. When I was about your age, I think I collected stamps. And I knew a bit about things like watermarks and uh, carbon tetrachloride and that sort of thing. So I thought stamps would be interesting because there hadn't been, as far as I knew, a lot of mysteries written about stamp collecting. In the same way, the, uh, the second book was about puppet shows, and it was uh, something that I had become interested in again in my teen years when I had a teacher who, who had been a professional puppeteer and had wonderful stories of making and performing with that. So that was natural. And each one of the books had a, a basic subject about it that I had to research. So I, I need to know what the book is about. But when I start writing, I have no idea of any of the characters that are going to appear in it. I, I just have to wait for them to arrive and for Flavia to describe them. But as I go along, I need to do a lot of research so that uh, when, when Flavia gets into a chemical mood and gets into her chemistry lab, it was a topic that I was never good at in school because I was too busy out in the cemetery, I think. Um, I, I need to go back and find chemistry books from before the 1950s. There can't be any modern chemistry in the Flavia books. There's no DNA or DNA analysis. There, there are no cell phones or anything like that. So the chemistry has to be typically 1920s because Flavia is working in her uncle Tarquin's lab and most of the materials and the books that she has available are no later than 1928 which is the year that her great uncle died. So I have to dig out books from that era and then look up the chemistry and uh, try and follow what Flavia has in mind about how you could do this or do that. But chemically, they are accurate. They're, they're all researched. And uh, I've had the benefit of having friends who, who were professors of chemistry. In one case, a, a dean of chemistry, department head of chemistry at a big university who were willing to read the books and say, yes, you've got that right. Uh, so it, it was very helpful. You rely on friends a lot when you're writing. I can see that that so the reason that you pick some of the 
hobbies in the book. Uh, so Flavia's father collects stamps, and you said that you collected stamps as a child. And one of her sisters, uh, Daphne, Daffy, she reads, and you like to read as a child. So how did chemistry come into the picture? I don't know. Chemistry came with Flavia. It was one of the things that she mentioned in the first book is she just had this chemistry lab where she was playing with her sister's pearls, uh, doing an experiment. And when she went up there, that lab kind of grew because she described it in such detail. And I, I was just in awe because I had had never uh, seen a place like that or been in a place like that. But she was able to uh, describe everything right down to the microscope, which, which was interesting to me because I, I was interested in optics and lenses and that type of thing. So she really hooked me with the microscope. And uh, I can remember doing an enormous amount of research into the various light binocular microscopes that were made uh, at about the time that Uncle Tarquin was given his. And uh, they, they were just wonderful instruments, but I needed to know what the controls were on them and how they worked and so on before I could write about them. Um, the setting in the books are, uh, in most of the books, there's Flavia lives in a village on the English countryside. So how do so many murders happen in that small village? <laughs> that seems to be a question that comes up a lot nowadays. I think it's because of that TV series, Midsummer Murders, that has had hundreds of murders uh, because it has run for so many seasons. And uh, people wonder why they, why they can have hundreds of murders. I think it probably happened in the Agatha Christie books where Miss Marple lived in the village of St. Mary Mead. And there were quite a few people were bumped off in that setting. But I can only guess that it's because a detective who lives in a rural area like that doesn't get around very much and doesn't very often go to the big cities. That isn't necessarily true nowadays, but in the 1950s, um, at the time that, that I was growing up, there were many, many, many people that had never been away, from, never been out of the town that they lived in. I mean, that's hard to believe now, but there were a lot of people that had, had never been farther than maybe 10 miles from home since they were born. And some really widely traveled people might have been 60 or 70 miles away from home, but most, most people stayed very much in the same area where they were born. And to keep that setting for a book, you have to keep it within certain geographical limits and people become used to the village. I'm, I'm always getting emails from people asking me to print more maps so that they can see what else is in Bishop's Lacey. So uh, it's important to keep the story contained within a known familiar 
village. And I think that's why the murder victims usually come from away. They come from somewhere else. There are not very many people from Bishop's Lacey who get murdered. So uh, it, it just doesn't work out from a storytelling thing. So it's generally strangers that are not safe in the village. Uh, that's just my own uh, personal opinion on that. I don't really know. Are you going to continue the series? Are you going to write an 11th book? Well, I'm working on it. I have the uh, publishers are very eager and the readers are very eager. I get an enormous amount of email. But um, as you know, everything has been slowed down enormously by coronavirus. It has made our lives much more difficult and everything takes 10 times longer than it used to. But I know that there's a huge audience out there worldwide. And uh, the number of things that are happening, I, we were invited last week to a play that was put on in the Isle of Man uh, by a school that was inspired by the Flavia books. And uh, the uh, Flavia books just last week were voted the best foreign mysteries in Russia so there's a huge amount of email and people pleading for another book, but uh, it, it's just a matter of overcoming uh, other things and getting everything done and coping with uh, horrible weather and that kind of thing, uh, keeping groceries on the table. But I, I'm certainly very, very interested in uh, going on with the series. So I, I hope you'll all be patient. I will. Alan Bradley is an author and he's written the Flavia de Luce mystery series. And he talked to us today on News Nerds. Thank you so much for being on News Nerds. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was great fun. I hope we'll talk again one of these days when a new Flavia book comes out. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of News Nerds. On this week's episode, I was your host. I'm Ezra Graham. You can find us on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com. There you can listen to past episodes of News Nerds, Cow Pies, and other News Nerds extras. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. While you're there, please subscribe to the podcast. And while you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps our ratings. Another way to listen is by listening on Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on KGVM, community radio for the Gallatin Valley. If you are not in the Gallatin Valley area, go to KGVM's website, kgvm.org, to listen on their live stream. Until next week, bye-bye.